Good to have you guys here with us as we continue looking at Genesis. Genesis 12 through to 50 for the rest of this semester. Yes, we're going to get through to chapter 50, the end of Genesis, by week 13. Incredible, isn't it? Well, today we're going to stay in one chapter. Because it's a long chapter. It's actually the longest chapter in Genesis. And it's the longest narrative. Pretty beefy, it's like 60-something verses. And it's all about one thing. It's all about love. Love and distance. Almost everybody agrees that love at a distance sucks. If you are in or have been in a long-distance relationship, you'll know that that sucks. At the best of times, some of us find it hard to communicate from the heart um, when we're in the same room as the other person, face-to-face, talking, let alone trying to do that over technology that was designed to order pizza and things like that to communicate from the heart. You know, we can put little hearts in the things down. I know they're called emojis, but... It, it sucks. It just does not does not cut it for being able to communicate. Long distance love, or love at a distance for some of you might be that, well, you're actually looking, that love is a long way off. You're in a long distance relationship. In fact, that would be preferable to what you have now, which is nothing, and love seems just like a long, long way away. You'd settle for long distance better than nothing, and you wonder perhaps at times whether there's no one out there for me that love is at such a distance. That sucks, doesn't it? I'm using that adjective lots, and I'll keep using it, and I know it's grating, but yeah, it's grating, and it sucks. Or even worse, the one that you would long to love He's actually in the same room as, maybe not right now, but at, at various times. And, well, they may as well be on the other side of the world because they just barely recognise that you exist. Or perhaps worse, you know that they probably don't reciprocate that longing that you have. And that definitely sucks, doesn't it, if you've ever been in that situation. Or maybe love at a distance for some, might be in the long-distance past. Perhaps a failed relationship, perhaps an opportunity for a relationship that you didn't take up, that they didn't take up, that something went wrong, and whose fault was it? Was it yours or was it them? Was it who can tell? And what does it matter anyway? It's gone and it can't be fixed, and it just hangs in the past at a distance, unable to be grasped hold of. That sucks as well. This search for love is what Genesis 24 is talking about today. A search for love. It mentions love more times than any other chapter in Genesis. In fact, more, almost more than, than most chapters of the Bible, if you exclude some songs, all about love. But this is a chapter that's drawing your attention to love. Now, I'm not promising at all any answers to those specific situations that I've talked through. 
there are good answers for those, but they're not coming from this chapter. But what Genesis 24 does is, and I hope, and it's my prayer that it will do this, is provide all of us with foundations, foundational thinking, for how to process and think about and put in place good ways of thinking about such things as love at a distance and longing for love. There's some big picture answers which are good. I'm going to pray that as we look at this part of God's word that we might and understand it and appreciate it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. We pray that you might open our hearts to your word to be able to hear it and understand it. Please help me to be able to explain it well. We pray that we might be able to respond rightly. Praise Jesus' name. Well, Rachel's going to read some verses for us. First of all, verses 1 to 9. Thanks. All right, so Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 to 9. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, had charge of all that he had, your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son, or the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow you to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the Sabbath. Well, Abraham, we're told, he's well advanced in years. Doesn't look like he's on the search for love. It's not him that's looking for love, perhaps. He's probably looking for somewhere to retire to, a retirement building near a golf course, somewhere, somewhere where he can have the grandkids come over and visit, except that he doesn't got no grandkids, does he? Because... He has one son, Isaac, the child of the promise, and Isaac is at home and unmarried. Quintessential sort of naughty sort of guy, uh, 90s sort of guy. He hasn't left home yet and he's not yet married. And Abraham got, has got no grandkids and he's getting on and he's not far off there. Now you might think, well, that's... That's just life, isn't it? Some people don't get to see their grandkids. But remember the promises from last week that set up what's happening here. Abraham's not nobody. Abraham is the one that God has promised that through the world, sorry, through his offspring, all the world would be blessed through Abraham's offspring. So... If Abraham doesn't get grandkids, if Isaac doesn't get married and have kids, the promise of God to Abraham is kaput, 
and the world is not blessed by God. And at least God's word is really not worth anything. God can't really be trusted to bring about his promise to Abraham. So it's not just merely about having nice grandkids that come over and visit this. It's the whole storyline and the reality of history at stake in terms of what the Bible thinks and what God thinks. So this is big stuff. And Abram, well, he's got one job to do. His name means great father. Abraham, father of many. And he's got no grandkids at all. And so, what's he going to do? Well, he sends his servant, his servant off to find a wife for Isaac. And uh, we're going to check. This. Yeah, we're going to read that for us. Uh, we're going to read that now. Um, and there's three things that will actually. No, we're going to read that. Oh no, so we've already read it. I'm looking at my notes thinking, hang on, we've already read this. Yes, <laughs> we've seen three things already. Did you notice what they were? Well, he's, he's, after, he's after some grandkids. Isaac needs a wife. Okay. Um, notice that it was not amongst the locals in Canaan, which is where Abraham ended up. Remember, he doesn't own Canaan. He doesn't own a square foot of land at this stage, even though God promised the whole place to him. But he can't take a wife for Isaac from amongst the Canaanite people because they're the people that God is ultimately going to move out of the land and wipe out in future generations. So he's got to get back to Haran, about 800 kilometres away, to find a wife for Isaac from his own clan. So the scope for possibilities has gone from this to this to this. This is going to be a hard job for this guy, the servant. And it's serious stuff. How can we tell? It's Solomon serious. It's hand under the thigh sort of serious. <laughs> now, I don't know if you know what that exactly means, but I sort of get the vibe. Um, if someone says, put your hand under my thigh and swear, like it's getting pretty sensitive and serious. Like there's some things at stake that I don't really want to go into the possibilities about. So, yeah, don't mess up. And Abraham has restricted his options for Isaac and has locked himself quite seriously into trusting God. Well, it initiates a journey and a prayer. Verses 10 to 14. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia in Nathal. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at that time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Well, this <laughs> Yep, this servant... 
travels some 800 kilometers to go back to Mesopotamia. Uh, it's about here, Byron Bay, sort of. Uh, with 10 camels uh, to a place that he's probably never been before to meet a girl that he doesn't know actually exists. Well, he, he certainly hasn't met her, and he's got to try and convince her to leave her home and come back with him 800 kilometres to marry a guy that she's never met. That sounds all right, doesn't it? Yeah, cool. Um, and you worry that you might never meet somebody. Yeah. Well, he's got something um, in his favour. He's got 10 camels. Yeah. What could you achieve with 10 camels? That's impressive, isn't it, girls? You know, they're a guy who's got 10 camels. <laughs> just like seals the deal, doesn't it? Now, he's got something better than 10 camels. Uh, he prays. He prays to God. And uh, it's a prayer um, for this on this search for love. Did you pick it up? It's a big prayer, isn't it? It's a bold prayer. It's a specific prayer. It's an impossible prayer. And uh, I love the way that he informs God of his location as he's praying. Um, I'm standing by the well. Can you see me? Like on Google Maps. God, God, God. Like, I'm, I'm the one by the well. And I can see people coming towards the well from out of the cities, the men. And then he, then he prays. Uh, you know, let let there be the one who I say these words to and she'll say this back to me and then this will happen. This is an impossible prayer. Like if the possibilities of finding someone have narrowed, they've gone zero if it involves the answer to this prayer in this moment, in this way. It's impossible. The chances of finding somebody who are going to say these words, a woman at this time, these words, is next to zero. It's up there with that thing you do when you that prayer that you sort of don't actually really pray, but when you're driving down Northfields Avenue and it's ten thirty and you've got an exam or a class that's actually pretty much already started and you're in a line of cars on Northfields Avenue, that does actually happen in normal life. And you say to God, please, I need a parking space on Northfields Avenue. <laughs> the one opposite the entrance to Building 11. You know, the ones just just near the bus stop there. One of the, the one right at the very end. Because I can't pay the park. I just need to be able to drive in. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me have that. Like, that's, that's just not going to happen. If that sort of prayer, it's impossible. Will the Lord answer such a prayer? We're going to read the search for love. 15-21 Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camel also until they have finished drinking. 
that she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. Men gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. What's that sound like? Men gazed at her in silence. Well, we told from as soon as we see her that that Rebecca is very attractive. And so much so that this guy doesn't finish his prayer. Uh, he's distracted by her and uh, she arrives and he notices her very much so. She has a water jar on her shoulder as well, quite the accessory uh, of the time <laughs> when you're at a well. And that's going to come in handy. He asks her for a drink and she happily provides him with a drink. And then over and above that, she says, that's it. I'll do your camels as well. I'll water them. And she proceeds to provide water for the ten camels, remember? This is a ten camel guy. And do you know how much water a camel can drink in any one sitting? I had to Google it too. I didn't know it off the top of my head. But 200 litres is your standard camel sort of capacity. And so times that by ten, if that's shifted, lunged, 2,000 litres of water in one go, in one sitting. I don't know what they call them sitting. And she's amazing. Man, she is strong. And she has stamina. And wow, very beautiful too. And obviously, she's hospitable. She's not done this out of, you know, some duty. She Offered of her own self, she's hospitable, she's kind, she's generous with her strength. Man, girls, I don't know if you find that just slightly intimidating. <laughs> like, and guys, I don't know if you find that slightly intimidating. <laughs> it's like, would you ask? And like, just be like, shredded in the moment, like, yeah, as if. This woman is quite amazing. Has the Lord prospered this man's journey to find a wife for his servant, Isaac? Well, let's read verses 22 to 20 to 8. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Bilkah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder, and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Notice just now, but she can run after doing all that. <laughs> she runs. She's good. Uh, and she, well, what happens? Verse 29 to 51, we don't get to read. It's but it's basically a recount 
by the servant of exactly just what happened, almost word for word what happened. And it gets me wondering, why, why did he recount all that? Why did the writer of Genesis recount all of that which was said, rather than just the servant went and recounted all of this to the family? for the Bible readers uh, and I don't know let's leave off the story for a moment the narrative before us and think about how are we supposed to read this part of the Bible what are, what are we meant to do with this how are we to read the Old Testament are we meant to look for ways to live in this sort of passage are we meant to find uh, what we should expect in our lives to happen? Or are we being shown things like um, you know, an example of faith? Here is a massive, shining example of, of massive faith in this servant, such that he can pray this sort of prayer. And none of us will ever be able to reach that sort of faith, but we should try and aim high with to be like this servant and ask such a, a, a prayer to God. Is that what we're supposed to learn from this? Or perhaps we're being shown principles, principles of love and marriage and how to think about finding love and finding marriage. You know, how many camels does the typical guy need? Um, what sort of girl can I get with one camel? Um, we shouldn't have no, don't answer that. Don't ask that. <laughs> Please. But... What um, is that what we're being shown? Principles? Now, I'm not making up those possibilities, uh, as in, they're all possible ways of reading this passage that I've heard from Bible teachers who are evangelical teachers, and actually good, on the whole, Bible people. But this is not how I meant to read the Bible. It comes from the motivation and the good understanding that the Bible is God speaking to us. It's not that the Bible is just some antiquated thing, and like you read it and go, oh, that's an interesting thing, camels, girl, wow. The motivation is that God is speaking to us, and we're meant to understand something from it for ourselves. But we need to go further than that. Better than asking the question, what is God teaching me, is what do I learn about God and the way God does things? And you've got before you four questions on that outline under point two about four different ways, four different questions to ask to understand the Old Testament. First one is, what's the story so far? That's important because God's big picture. You know that the Bible is one big story, one arc of the narrative. Not just a story, it's reality. Happened, but what is God doing? It's going somewhere. So you need to place yourself, whereabouts are we right now? And we're in the part of the Bible that's telling us about Abraham's promise, the promise to Abraham for the world to be blessed through him. So we know they're the sorts of things we're supposed to be looking for. Secondly, what's happening in this account? So what happens in this part work and what we're being told here? Well, Let's, have, let's jump back into this then and see, try and answer this one. It's about a search for love, we've been able to see. But let's see how the word 
love is actually used. We haven't really dug into that much yet. We've just seen the story. Well, under point B, prayer to find love, we hear what, in verse 12, what the servant prays. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Verse 14. Got it? Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one to whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Under point C, the search for love is looking for an answer to this prayer for God's love towards Abraham to be fulfilled. Under point D, when love is confirmed, verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, verse 27, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness towards my master. This chapter is all about love and the search for love, about God's love for Abraham, God's faithfulness to his promise that he's given to Abraham. The search for love is not a, is not merely a search for a wife for Isaac, but it's a search for the fulfilment of God's love for Abraham. Though the terms are impossibly small, though the possibilities that have been given are tiny, infinitesimally small, God answers the prayer. God keeps his promises. Well, what's this teach us about God and about the way God does things? This is, that's the third question. God answers prayer, yes. God answers this prayer not on the basis of its impossibility, though it is pretty impossible sort of prayer, not because of the man's boldness even, though that's commendable, and it's not because of Isaac's need for a wife that this prayer is answered by God, but it's on the unshakable basis of God's love for Abraham or his unshakable faithfulness to his word. No matter how impossible the circumstances are, Abraham's on his deathbed and he has no grandchild. Isaac doesn't have a wife. The terms of finding a wife are tiny, but God will keep his promise to Abraham. God will bless the world through his child and there will be a wife. Well, where does it go? What happens? You don't have the rest of the passage in front of you. Um, but what happens with from verse? Oh. Then Laban and Beth Laban's Rebecca's brother, um, who's pretty impressed with all these things on his hands, and Bethuel as well, her father, answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. That's pretty good, isn't it, girls? Be happy with that? Your dad just says, yeah, go with the guy. Here you go. Um, 
when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewellery of silver and gold and ornaments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he ate, uh, he and the men who were with him ate and drank. They spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and she said and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I'll go. Well, she's impressive, isn't she? She's ready for an adventure. Uh, where do they go? So they went away. They sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they all blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of tens thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebecca and her young women, women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. And thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Now, Isaac had returned from Beer Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening, and he lifted up his eyes. And behold, there were camels. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And that's what happened after. And she saw Isaac. She dismounted from the camel, and she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It's my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. That's all very romantic, doesn't it? Well, I think it does anyway. <laughs> they just like arrive at the tent. Is that like it? It's like a tent out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, I think there's a the tent, camels. Um, that's it. Yes, you may, brother. Go for it. Yes. So are we going to skip over the whole incest? Yes, it's not actually incest. It's quite a common thing at the time. And it's a sort of end of Genesis 22, where you'll get the full picture on who's in the family. Well, you do that. We'll have a chat later about the... God keeps his promise. There's a wife for... Isaac, and he's comforted after his mother's death. God promised Abraham, and well, it's quite something. Where do we go with this in the Bible? How does, for our final question, uh, what does this teach us about the way God does things through Jesus? Well, we see God's love at a distance. If you go to the New Testament, Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews, reflecting on Abraham's story, 
by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 13, these all, and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a Abraham does not receive the outcome of the promise. He dies in faith. He dies seeing the promise from afar, seeing the fulfilment of the promise from afar. He doesn't get the land. He doesn't see his offspring. But he can see one offspring. He can see somehow that God will keep his promise through the one that we saw in Galatians 3 last week was the one offspring, not offsprings, but the one offspring, Jesus. Fast forward from Abraham some 2,000 years to another well, to another man and another woman at a well. There is a man who asks for a drink from a woman carrying a jar. Then will you give me a drink? She's nowhere near as hospitable as Rebecca. She's nowhere near as attractive as Rebecca. She may be in appearance, but she's had five husbands. And the one that she's with is not her husband. But the man who asks her for a drink at that well says, if you ask me for a drink, then I will give you living water that will well up to eternal life. John 4, we looked at some weeks ago. The fulfilment of the promise of many, many offspring through the one offspring, the blessing of the world through one offspring, is seen in this man Jesus as he offers water that will well up to eternal life, not for wonderful, beautiful, able, capable women like Rebecca, them too, but for outcast and not very attractive women like the one that Jesus met at the world. He gave her something that was far better than all of the relationships she'd been seeking and had had. Where do we find our satisfaction and fulfilment? Well, God so loved Abraham, John 3, that he kept his promise to bless the world and gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I started talking about love at a distance and how it sucks. You might be thinking, well, yes, that was nice to begin with that. We just strayed right away from that, haven't we? That was just a, 
a bait and switch sort of thing. It's not really talking about love at all. But no. Your longings for love, maybe they're love at a distance, maybe they're the tangible, maybe they're just so far off that they don't look like it, are real things. Real longings. No doubt mixed up and, and, and wrong in lots of ways and wrong-headed thinking in lots of different ways. But nonetheless, that still sucks. Genesis 24 teaches us to keep looking to God's faithfulness in him keeping his promises. True fulfilment and satisfaction is found in Jesus, the offspring. Abraham teaches us that teaches us that because he, he saw the, the fulfilment at a distance from afar. He never received it in his lifetime. He trusted God that he had something far better than all the cities of Mesopotamia and all the land of Canaan that he could possibly acquire and all the great things that he had by the time he was on his deathbed. He was after something much, much better. He was longing for the fulfilment of that promise that would come in Jesus. Some of you have love and relationship right now, and that's good. But even better if you don't. And you understand that longing. Don't despise that longing as much as it sucks and you would like to be rid of it. But use it to teach you to long for what God has for us in Jesus, what he's given us in eternal life. We don't grasp it right. We don't have it all right now. But the more that we long for everything of this world, let us use that to long for what God has promised for us. It sucks, but it's teaching us to long for God. How about I pray that we might learn to long for God and what He's given Father, we thank you for this part of your word. We do often feel that love is at a distance and we do know that your kingdom and the blessings of your kingdom do in a large way feel at a distance. Help us to long for them so that we will not long for the things of this world. Help us to have a greater intensity to love for the things that you have prepared for us and that we know are sure in Jesus. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to keep praying. Justin's going to lead us. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. So, Ray was just talking to God and asking Him for things and thanking Him for things. So, um, if you'd like to pray with me, maybe bow your heads with me, and then afterwards, if you agree, say Amen. Lord God, thank you so much for who you are. And that by studying your word, all of your word, your cohesive, one ultimate story, truthful word, that we can come to know more about you and your character. Lord, we thank you that in this passage today we are reminded of your steadfast love and faithfulness. As it was shown to Abraham in the way that you upheld your promise to him, 
And then as Abraham died in faith, trusting that your promise would continue to be fulfilled as time moved on, that ultimately it was fulfilled in Christ, and that your faithfulness and love is shown to us through what he did on the cross. Lord, we pray that you would help us to long for you. We pray that you would help us to be people who are not distracted by uh, the many temptations that fight to be the loves of our lives in, in this world, but that we would focus on the prize, which is to be with you in heaven for eternity. Lord, we pray for all Christians at the moment, all over the world, in Uni Bible Group, in other university Christian groups, in Australia, and in the world. We pray that you would help us to grow in faith, a deepening knowledge of the gospel, and help us to understand how much Christ loves us. Help us to persevere through suffering. Think especially of Christians at the moment in Myanmar and the Christians in China, Taiwan, other countries that are going through difficulty. Lord, help them to remember that you are still on the throne and that you are faithful to your promises. Lord, help us to take opportunities to speak Christ, to evangelize, to share the gospel with people, Help us to stay faithful to you and grow in our love for you. Lord, we thank you for Giving Week. We thank you for the opportunity to support this ministry. Um, we pray, Lord, that we would be able to generously support any Bible group. We ask that you would help us all to prayerfully consider whether or not uh, we are able to give and what we should do with the resources that you have given us. We also thank you for Dennis for Nine. Um, that's been happening over this last week and is continuing this week. Lord, we ask that it would continue to be a good time of fellowship and encouragement and spurring one another on in the gospel. Father, now as we pray, uh, as we go out to lunch on the lawn or classes or whatever it is, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to constantly remember your faithfulness and enjoy some time of fellowship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.